0: Am I on? Yeah, you can hear me. Well, it is a privilege to be here with Exchange, and it's great that Todd's having a bit of a break. He and his family—they need it, and we do pray for them and for those who are away. It was uh, great to hear that Todd's um, planning this summer series on the questions and I think um, that's really great and in fact I had thought about this before I actually knew that was happening so I actually worked on one of these questions myself so if answers don't come today they might come in a couple of weeks because I want to talk about uh, suffering as God's people. And uh, to do that we're going to look at Romans chapter 8 and I'm reading um, more or less from the King James so you might follow it up here on the ESV but that's fine because um, different versions sometimes help us to understand God's word. So let's hear God's word now from Romans chapter 8 I'm going to read the whole chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can it be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God for the creation was made subject to vanity not willingly but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope because the creation itself also shall be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now, and not only they but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is no not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestine, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yes, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution... Or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What an amazing passage. And uh, we're going to have a look at that right now. But first of all, I'm going to pray before we open up the word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, your word, as uh, Doug has reminded us, uh, speaks to us. It is a personal word. It, it speaks to us personally. And it is here that, that it teaches us, it corrects us, it rebukes us, it trains us in the way of righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, um, work in us, we pray. May the Spirit work in us to understand your word and to apply it into our lives, that we may not just be hearers, but we may be doers of the word. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. Friends, we're all infected uh, by... Uh, this secular society. I say secular means a uh, society that's looking to have no religion and no God. Um, and we know this is the case. It's uh, going on in the homes, uh, in our families, uh, all around us, in our media, in the in social media, in uh, the schools, uh, in the institutions, in the parliament, in the law, uh, even in the church in some degree. In some churches they're denying uh, the truth as proclaimed in the, through the scriptures. And the question is, do Christians have an answer to this, uh, to this sort of problem that's, that's going on? I say it's a problem. It is one of the big claims of those who don't believe in God that the existence of pain and suffering basically prove that there is no God. And this idea came, perhaps goes back to a guy uh, about 400 BC by the name of Epicurus. And he said something like this. He said, well, if God is all powerful, if God is all caring and all loving, why doesn't he solve these problems of pain and suffering and death? He either doesn't care about us or he's not powerful. And so people like um, Stephen Fry, the popular comedian, British uh, author, or Sir Sir David Attenborough, or Richard Dawkins, take on this uh, reasoning. And they they go on to say, well, you know, science will help us uh, solve our problems, or uh, we have to accept that life is a bit random. And um, so... Uh, we don't really need to ask the question why. Uh, There's no answer to it, they they say. It's just a random thing. Our DNA is a random thing. But, you know, uh, denying uh, that there is a God doesn't remove the pain. Uh, Accepting life is random doesn't answer uh, the sufferer uh, who's suffering. And so we do need answers to these questions, this, this big question of the problem of suffering and pain. Uh, and there are answers. It's, it's, sometimes it's not an easy answer. We don't find it easily. But what we're going to focus on today is not so much why there is suffering, but how do I face suffering? How do I survive these things? In Romans 8, uh, shows us three things, three uh, three things that it, that it teaches us. Firstly, that God is present with us and God is, secondly, working out his plan for us. And thirdly, God is working through us and going with us in a powerful way to demonstrate his power and to uh, show us his glory. And so, firstly... God's presence with us. Now, this is a really important point. If we don't get this point, we probably won't accept the other points. And what makes this so important? You know, like equating suffering with the fact that God is present with us. It's something perhaps we don't think about. It's something that perhaps we haven't thought about a lot. But we must see that God is with us. Our suffering should make him more real, more important, more essential to our living. It, in fact, it gives us, his presence gives us our identity. Uh, we are his people. We uh, have Christ in us and with us, and yet it connects us. Uh, his presence connects us with suffering. I want you to see this connection. Perhaps, Kath, if we can have verse 17 up there. Look at me with uh, Romans 8, verse 17. Now, in some versions, like the the New King James or the NIV, there's the word if, and if can denote a possibility. In the uh, ESV, it has... uh, No, not not that one. In the ESV, it has provided we suffer. It could mean... In verse 17, that it is a possibility. Um, it may be a possibility. If we suffer, then we shall be glorified. But it also could have this sort of meaning: that suffering is there. Suffering is part and parcel of our course. And if it's a really the situation, then this follows. So it's not a so much a maybe true. I think it's more like it will be true. I think the ESV is is better. And the New Living Translation is quite good. Suffering, really, what it's saying is part of the territory. One version has, but we must suffer as Christ suffered. And then we will have glory as Christ has glory. If we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Paul is declaring this is sort of the present proof that God is with us in a way if we're going through suffering because of Christ um, then we'll share in his glory and Jesus said much the same thing at the end of uh, Romans 5 uh, Matthew 5 Matthew 5 where it gives us the beatitudes blessed are the poor blessed are the meek Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, Jesus said. For so they persecuted the prophets. Whatever form of suffering takes, and some people have identified about four different varieties of suffering we can suffer from our own sins we can suffer from other people uh, bringing their sins against us we can suffer but there's a universal suffering we're all uh, getting older we're all dying as it were and that's part of uh, what we understand is going on and then there's the horrible sort of suffering the uh, the unexpected suffering the earthquakes and so on one of the many stories that uh, that's Hit the news uh, over in Australia in the last uh, 20 years at least. A very prominent story is the story of Lindy Chamberlain. I'm sure most of you heard of her. She was tried for murder and she was uh, found guilty by a court and sentenced to a life imprisonment. And she served three years, uh, or over three years, of that sentence before she was in- released. There were four inquiries, including a royal commission, and she suffered because, as a result of the sin of others who denied the truth, the truth or concealed the truth. And this story was so prominent; is uh, it hit the world headlines? It dominated our media uh, it, through the 1980s and the 1990s, and it was one of the, it was the most publicised trial in Australian history. And just last week, if you heard the news, they released now, 30-odd years after the event, um, some documents that the government didn't believe her story. Uh, And, of course, she suffered going to prison and her husband, Michael Chamberlain, suffered. Um, They ended up uh, separated, divorced, and both of them remarried. And, of course, that, that wasn't the only suffering. Because we've got to think about that poor baby, Azaria only three months old. She'd be 36 years age now, probably married and having children of her own, but sadly taken by a dingo at Ayers Rock in 1980. Now, how do we know that's true? Because despite all the evidence they put up, and the key bit of evidence was the blood splatter in the uh, footwell and the passenger footwell of the car, the Tirana. But they found out that it wasn't actually blood. It was actually the, the sound deadening spray the manufacturer put there. So that was that was the case of Lindy Chamber. Of course, not only she suffered and he suffered and Azaria suffered, but we too suffered. The uh, The case cost a lot of money, but also Christians were maligned because of it. Some people were wearing T-shirts around saying, the dingo is innocent. Others uh, thought she was a witch. Others, still others, thought that they'd, she'd probably sacrificed Azaria on Air's Rock in some spiritual religious ceremony. But the interesting thing that Lindy said in an interview uh, about God, she said, "Well, in her childhood, of course, what people realise is that she was." Uh, married to a minister, and she was also a minister's daughter. And she basically grew up in this area. She was a local in Benalla. She went to high school there. And during her teenage years, she had some amazing answers, miraculous answers to prayer. But still God seemed a little bit remote, uh, a little bit abstract. She had the knowledge of God, and God and Jesus were it in the household every day. But it was only when the Azara tragedy happened that she came to realise that she could only lean on God. She had no one else. I had no other choice, her words were, than to lean on God completely. It was only then that God became totally solid and real to me beyond any doubt. Is God solid and real to you? today. Paul writes here in Romans, it's about our identity in Christ, that Christ is with us. He writes, you know, if you're heirs of God, that means you, you inherit all that God has. Then you're also co-heirs with Christ. And therefore, it's a, by the fact itself that Christ suffered the, and you're suffering because of you are Christ. Therefore, you'll be glorified with him. And that's the big point here in Romans 1, 8, 1 to 11. Christ, uh, God is with you in Christ. And this is a tremendous privilege that we have. Because what he reminds us there in verses 1 to 11 of the gospel, the gospel, uh, the privileges of the gospel Sin has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. And in the process, Paul also is answering some questions here that have been raised uh, previously in the letter to the Romans. In Romans 6, for example, uh, Paul asks the questions, well, if sin has been dealt with so, so comprehensively by grace, by God pouring out his grace, then should we go on sinning uh, if sin has been dealt with? Uh, No, of course we don't go on sinning, Paul writes, because we're baptised into his death. And therefore, we've left that life behind. So we might walk in the newness of life. Sin won't have dominion over you anymore. Sin has been dealt with since Christ conquered it. And then in Romans 7, he also asks another question. Well, you know, what about the law? The law points us to Christ. And the law is is good, isn't it? But doesn't it show up our sins? Is the law actually promoting sin? In other words, can we ever stop sinning? Of course we can, writes Paul. Of course we can. The law shows that there is principles at work. And if we read Romans 7, um, it's it's telling us there that there's a principle that says, well, we want to keep on doing what the flesh wants. And, and sin is like, it, if we personal, personal, uh, personalise it, it keeps attacking us. It keeps drawing us away from God. And we want to do the things that displease God. But come to the end of Romans 7 and Paul writes, thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. And then in the start of Romans 8, he says, well, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, what the gospel does is it liberates us and sets us free from the recurring patterns, the sinful patterns in our lives. It fulfills the law's demands so that there's no condemnation for, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we're not just found righteous once, but we're found righteous in Christ, complete and the Spirit of God helps us to go on and live a life of righteousness. That's the marvellous thing. So that's the obligation then that Paul goes on about, that you're not to be governed by the desires of the flesh, not to please yourself. We're about pleasing God. Jesus said the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where those Beatitudes are. He said, seek First, the kingdom of God, and then all the other things will fall into place. And so that's the first thing we are to note here, that God is with us. The spirit of God is with us. The spirit of Jesus is with us. And the gospel informs us we should set our minds on the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh. But the gospel also shows us that God is working out his plans. And Romans 8, 18 then goes on and says this, I consider the sufferings right now are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. It's talking about there's a plan that God will reveal his glory in the days to come. And Paul goes on to talk about the groaning that goes on. There's actually three sorts of groaning that go on in Romans 8. I don't know whether you noticed that. But first there's the groan of all creation. It groans in anticipation as to what will be revealed. There's a frustration going on in the whole created order, the whole order of life. God subjected it to futility, but with a purpose, with a plan in mind to be set free from the bondage of corruption. That's the ultimate goal in the plan, to restore and bring in this new creation, as, as Revelation 21 and 22 talk about, a new heavens and a new earth. And uh, we, we can identify with this in, in, in a real way for... Um, and again, I come back to you, ladies. Uh, Paul—it's It's Paul's analogy... The groans are like a, a woman, a pregnant woman who is about to give birth. Uh, this is the metaphor. And, you know, th- there's morning sickness, yes, but I think it's not so much in in the time, but it, it's in the anticipation, in the joy of, of what is expected. Uh, you know, this baby's in there and this baby has to come out. Um, and... The suffering, the groaning continues on, but the focus is on what to come, the joy, the anticipation. And the second groan is the groan we have ourselves because we're part of like the first fruits of, of what is going to come. The spirit is a deposit, Paul writes in another letter, giving us the guarantee of our inheritance and we're all groaning, we all groan in various ways, we all, as we get older, are falling apart. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I seem to be falling apart a bit more lately. But anyway, in the face of suffering and pain, it's easy to think there is no purpose in life, there's no plan, there's no goal for me in particular, but that's all part of what we're to recognise, that... This groaning that goes on. And uh, all things do work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. There's another lady uh, that reminds me of this particular passage. Her name is Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know whether you've heard of her, but she was a, a vibrant young lady until about the age of 17. She dived into a shallow pool and hit the bottom and became paralysed from the neck down. And so she suffered terribly from that accident. And following that accident, she experienced depression and and bitterness and thoughts of suicide. And, and it took her a long time uh, to understand why these things had happened to her. Um, following that accident at least over two years and she eventually realized that God had allowed this to happen for a purpose to reveal his glory so that she could witness to other people but she come and stuck because in, in the recuperation hospital, in the repatriation rehabilitation hospital, she was there with four other young women and one of these women uh, was a girl by the name of Denise Walters and just like Johnny she had uh, a vibrant life 17 year old she was bounding up the steps of a high school when her knees started to give way and she more or less had to um, find that she had to go home at the end of the day she could hardly walk and she went to bed and then she could hardly get out of bed and get up for tea and um, not long after, she became paralysed from the neck down and then she lost her sight. And what she had was a rare form of, of a rapid progression of multiple sclerosis. And it was difficult for her to relate to anyone because she, she was paralysed and she couldn't see um, and so she laid motionless in this rehabilitation hospital. Uh, barely able to talk. All her friends uh, more or less stopped coming. The only person that came to see her was a mother and she read her Bible to her every day um, and prayed with her dying daughter. But death wasn't to come uh, mercifully for some time. She lay in that hospital until she was 25 years of age, eight long years before uh, she went and Joni had difficulty explaining um, why she had to suffer because she couldn't witness to anyone. She just was blind and motionless. And she, she, had, she then went back to all the questions she had. Why did this happen to me? I'm a committed Christian. Why would Jesus allow this? And how can God bring any good from this? Why should I trust God when this has happened to me? And she saw that she had a purpose, but but Denise, she didn't seem to have any purpose. And so she shared this with her friends, and one of her friends uh, opened the Bible and opened to Luke. Fifteen, verse ten, and verse seven, where it says, "And the angels rejoice over the one who repented." And Johnny said, "Yeah, you know that's great. God is merciful." Well, then he opened his Bible to Ephesians three, ten, where it says, "The angels and and the the authorities in heaven, the angels and the demons, the unseen heavenly hosts are looking to see what happens in the church." That was the case with Job, that there were the angels and even the devil and God was saying, look at Job. And suddenly, Joni got it. The world around us, people uh, see only what they want to see. They see what's visible, but they don't see what's invisible. And for them, for many people, there's no supernatural There's no transcendent God. There's only what is close and seen. No spirit, no devil, no God. But Joni came to see that Denise's life was not a waste. That she wasn't just lonely in a lonely hospital room. That there were others watching on. God saw her. Jesus saw her. The angels saw her. And we may groan. There may be reactions we may have. We may need to repent. We may need to forgive others. We we may definitely need to pray. But we also need to keep this plan of God in mind. It's a big plan, and I say big because we've got a. It includes both the seen and the unseen, the spiritual, uh, and the heavenly heavenly host. It's big because you've got to go right back to the very start of when God created. He made them male and female and put them in the garden. Everything was lovely in the garden until sin and the relationship was broken between man and God, which has infected the whole of creation. And we've got to see that it's big because it goes beyond the, the local church and the local community. It encovers it the whole world. And it's big because God is bringing this plan to completion and he is an almighty, awesome God, isn't he? And he's going to bring this to completion so that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And it won't just be the possibility that Adam may enter into God's rest. We will enter into God's rest. We will be with God in his glory. And then finally, there is the third groan. And this, this is the third thing I suppose we, we we ought to think about. And that is the groan of the Holy Spirit. That is, God is with us but working in us as well to take us through these experiences. Let me read again Romans 8.26. This is in the ESV. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, to those according according to his purpose. You see, God is present with us, yes. God has made plans for us, Yes. But God is also working through us, regardless of our sufferings or not. And, and when God is working through us, he's demonstrating his power in us. And that's, um, that's the power of God is found in the gospel of Christ. That's what Paul says at the start of Romans. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation in Christ. And he reminds us that this power is made perfect in weakness. His power may fill you with all the joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. I remember when I was um, in college and I was asked to come and give a talk at a, at a youth camp uh, up in the mountains, in the Blue Mountains. And um, one of the songs that they sang and uh they were great on the guitar and on the drums like this, like um, Ben and Sam here, but boy, did they have this song down down pat. You know they could I think they could do it in every key, and they had every little twist and, and everything. And you might know it. It's, it's um, based on a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, "Fear not, for I am with you." Now I gave those talks, and I hope they learned something from them. But boy, I came away from that camp learning something from them because this song just resonated with me and it's stuck in my mind. I want to read you those, that, that verse from Isaiah 43, 1-3. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Feel not, for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God. Now, did you hear that? You've got to, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, but you won't get drowned. When you go through the flames, I'll be there, I'm with you, but you won't be burned. For I am the Lord your God. God doesn't remove the suffering, but he goes through it with us. And so we shouldn't be shocked by suffering if we suffer, but we're to draw comfort from him that he goes with us. He says, so in the Psalms, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he comforts us with his rod and his staff. And, That's the path sometimes we must go. It's the only path. There's only one way to glory, and that's with Jesus. As co heirs God working out his plan for us and working in us and working with us and working through us. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you're whispering to us in our pleasures. And speaking in our consciousness, but sometimes you shout in our pain to rouse us and remind us of who you are, that you are the almighty and awesome, everlasting God. And we pray that we may draw near to you and uh, even though we may suffer at times, that you may draw near to us refining us and making us more pure and fitting us ready for heaven. Lord, we pray that you may um, be with us always in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Not sure who is on uh, handing out communion, but could I have a couple people hand up with that? Thank you very much, Rob. That was great. Um, as we kind of come to the communion table, I guess I get the opportunity to briefly share about the why. We heard about what we're supposed to do in the midst of suffering from Rob, um, but briefly, why do we suffer? And this is, you know, it'll be a little bit simplistic. It's a very complex issue, and I'm sure Todd will be talking about it later. Um, But we come right back to the beginning of Romans. And it says, For although we knew God, we did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But we became futile in our thinking, and our hearts became foolish when darkened. Claiming to be wise, we became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images and idols resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and dollars and possessions and houses, jobs, credentials, education, etc., God didn't create a world that had flaw. He didn't create a world that had suffering. But because we, as humans, as a people, chose to suppress our knowledge of God, to reject God as King and Lord, as the one who knew best and knows best about what life should look like,